episode 155 for Late Night Linux, recorded on the 6th of December, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Story. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So we're going to start with first impressions, and it's Garuda Linux. This is a rolling release distro based on Arch Linux. And spoiler, I think it's great. It is a version of Arch that has something for everyone, whether you want a nice, boring XFCE desktop, or quite frankly, one of the most ridiculous implementations of KDE that I've ever seen. <laughs> Phelan, you didn't realize that there was also a boring one, so you only tried the ridiculous one. What did you think of it? I thought it was lovely. It was a bit slow on my VM, and yes, okay, it was in the VM, and I do apologize to the developers, yada yada, but... I'm not going to try these things out on a machine. I don't have a haunted laptop like Will, so <laughs> I have to make do. And yes, it, it ran. It was a little bit on the slow side, and I don't know whether that was just down to maybe a graphics issue or what. I'm not sure. But the thing is, it's one of the very first distros I've ever seen that has right out the bat adapted to the graphics size of the window by just drag and drop and then re and you know rebuilt the image and was at that resolution whatever it happened to be most of the time you have to install the uh, vda agent and things like that and i thought the installer was actually really nice the way it went through it was really well done what about the wobbly windows did you get to see that oh no i don't think i did actually or maybe i just didn't wobble my windows enough maybe <laughs> i didn't notice it did use a dock down the bottom and the you know, sort of Mac-like menu bar up along the top, which I wouldn't be a massive fan of. I mean, I like my taskbar along the top, but I just hide the menus. I don't want to see the menus anymore. The only thing I would have probably would have annoyed me a little bit was that there was a 30 gig minimum file size for the installer. And I didn't know that at the start. Mm. And I had a 20 gig as my usual VM I size. I exactly the same. <laughs> me too. The thing is, though, right, there's a nice step-through installer of, you know, get to pick apps in various groupings. It's probably about the best I've seen of anyone where, you know, like if you think back to the Debian days where you've got like these huge lists of like multimedia and there's like 5,000 applications in there. But this was really well done. But when all the selection was done that I had chosen, I had 18 gigabytes free. It's like, well, why did you force me to reinstall this to get a 30 gig or sorry, 29 point, whatever it was, hard drive. So I just thought that was weird. It's like, well, you know, I can always run out of space, but don't force me to have a massive load of free space at the end when I didn't need it. Yeah, I thought that startup was it was really good to begin with. Anyway, um, after about the seventh or eighth page of apps, I thought well, maybe this isn't such a yeah. good idea. I really wish they'd have just let you choose a category, you know, from the beginning, yeah. from like a central hierarchical menu system. I want to, you know, choose multimedia apps and developer tools. But yeah, it was really nice to show you if you're a beginner to these kind of things what you can install because um, you know you could select everything and just occupy yourself for another year of lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there are loads of different versions of it. The main one, seemingly, is Garuda KDE Dragonized. Ah, oh, so the one I used was the actual main one, right? Fair enough. I believe so. Yeah, and Dragonized is spelled with four sixty in it because it's uh, late speak. And they have a icon that every time I saw it on screen, all I could hear was this like, you know, like that like fade off into the background reverbed eagle sound. Yeah. And uh, yeah, every time I saw it, I just was like, oh yeah, that's cool. Well, that's their logo, isn't it? So you've got that one. There's a GNOME version, which looked pretty stock from the screenshots. Will, you tried that one out. Was it stock? 
Yes, it was pretty stock. There were a few apps that were were rebranded with their own sort of skins over the top, uh, like Firefox, for example. Although you do have the option to install stock Firefox if you want to. It had GNOME software in there. It had um, all of the other usual apps, although it did have a different terminal emulator, but um, it was all very, very usable. Uh, And I'm glad that a, a distro like this exists. It was kind of fun for a little while. It looked a bit wacky, but I think that's just me being old. But it worked, it installed easily, and yeah, I quite liked it. Yeah, I went for the XFCE edition, obviously. Oh, wow, what a surprise. Well, first I did anyway. I tried some other ones as well, but that was just a very straightforward well-configured XFCE, I found. A few little differences here and there. Like it had a wallpaper? Well, yeah, obviously. And um, the archive manager wasn't in Grandpa. It was something else that just didn't seem to work very well at all, so I wasn't very happy with that. But um, on the whole, it was just a pretty straightforward Arch with XFCE experience. You can get that with Endeavor OS, which I still do like, but I also quite liked what Garuda had done with this. And then there's LXQ and some tiling window manager ones and Wayfire and just all sorts. There's a Mate edition. There's a boring KDE one, which I think would have suited you better probably, Phelan. That's an outrageous sort of scurrilous attack on my character there, but probably. They call it <laughs> Linux Barebones, and it is just a fairly stock plasma, from what I can see, without any of the wobbly windows and great graphics and, you know, stylized graphics, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, looking at this, it made me think that Arch itself isn't really a distro, is it? It's more just a, a toolbox, a box of Lego that you create a distro out of. And Graham, you can probably tell us more about that because you're used to running Arch quite a lot. Garuda enables you to have quite a few different Arch experiences. And I think it, there is something for everyone here. If you want a relatively boring XFCE or GNOME or Mate, you've got that, or Plasma. I think the main version would be absolutely perfect for that 14-year-old who has like the RGB keyboard, is into gaming, because you've got the NVIDIA graphics out of the box support if you want them. This is a great advert for Linux and Arch for young people who like all that bullshit that we don't. Am I totally wrong here, or is that who this is aimed at? Maybe you're right about the the theme, but I, I never really think of themes... I don't, I don't really judge a distribution on its theme because I'm so used to changing them to be what I like. Um, and I tried the Black Arch edition, um, which was an even more kind of high contrast, probably brilliant on an OLED display where you don't see anything on the background. And it wasn't to my taste, although it was pretty cool looking. Maybe you're right about the, the kind of the, dem- the target demographic. It, it would probably fit with the cliche. And it's brilliant in the way that it sets you up with an arch system in that way and introduces you to the system and lets you see what you can install and make it accessible and they also seem to know a thing or two about configuring plasma as much as i mean you're right Phelim, i wouldn't have the top bar either but i hadn't realized just how well integrated that had become into plasma when you yeah, make something full yeah, screen well, that is fair because i never use it but it's really nice that somebody's made those choices for me and it felt really slick yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I don't mind an opinionated choice on something. If I can change it myself, then that's okay. And I think, yeah, if somebody's got a vision for something, then yeah, I think they should go for it. And it, it was it was interesting to see, for sure. 
And I also tried using the um, the app image Garuda installer to download the ISO first, but um, I, I'm guessing in the back end it's it's kind of downloading the torrent of the ISO, and it was just too slow. I had no control over, you know, boosting the the upload or download speeds or trying to get more peers, and so I downloaded. It did take me a while to download the six gig ISO for installing on my network connection, but even then there was only kind of two cedars, I think, for the art, the black arch edition. But I really liked it. I think they've made some really smart and opinionated configuration choices, which which differentiates it enough from other distributions to to exist. I must say, now I'm going to feel torn next time I want to install Arch because I'm not pissing around doing it the proper way. I just don't have time for that. Do I go for Endeavor OS or do I go for Garuda? Manjaro is also an option, but currently Endeavor is my go-to, and now I'm going to be torn. I, I don't know what I'll go for because. I do genuinely think this is a great project. Well, at this point, we'd normally spin the wheel of mare to see what we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, but in a couple of weeks, it'll be the predictions revisited and new ones. So uh, we'll see about spinning the wheel next time. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and TrustRadius. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare-metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late-night-linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late-night-linux. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support if you want to join those people. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Let's do some feedback then. The first one is from Pablo. Earlier this year, I signed up for Hack the Box and started to learn some hacking skills. Have any of you ever used hack-the-box type services or taken part in hacking competitions? It seems to me that even if a life of InfoSec isn't the goal, at least some experience is a great eye-opener for anyone with sysadmin responsibilities. Perhaps for a future episode, instead of trying a distro or application, you could all attempt the same Linux-based hack-the-box or try-hack-me challenge and compare notes on who was most successful. P.S. Any hacking anecdotes? I think the statute of limitations has passed on me revealing that I was the one bypassing the Windows 95 lockdown software on the sixth form common room PC so we could all play games during lunch. So, yeah, any of you ever been tempted to get into this sort of thing? Not even remotely. Well, that's the way you do it normally, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Same for me. I'm too thick is the bottom line. I'm far too thick also, but usually I'm on the other side of it where I'm trying to patch systems left, right, and center. And I just, I don't know. If I could develop a cruise missile, like lock in on spammers, 419ers, hackers, etc., that'd be great. It really would. But what about this argument that 
if you learn a little bit about the other side of the fence, you would be better at defending against them. Sure. But, you know, there's tools there to do it. But the problem is there's lots of tools there that can mean that somebody who has no clue what they're doing can hack away at a system left, right and center. And, you know, it doesn't take skill to do it. It just takes, oh, well, I've taken a chance and see if I get knocked offline or not or get arrested or whatever happens in your jurisdiction. And the problem is there are jurisdictions where those types of things, as long as they're not committed against those countries, are fine. And the rest of us have to pick up all the pieces. And it's really, really annoying and tiring. It does seem so horrendously complicated to get into these days. And I'm showing my age a little bit. But in the early to mid-90s, I was lucky enough to go to the States for a year at university. And the most amazing thing about doing that was, um, firstly, somebody lent me an Amiga 1000 that they weren't using with a modem, but also the free local phone calls in the US. In the dorm room that I shared with somebody, we we just run that war dialer going through all the phone numbers in the telephone book that we could put in, you know, come up with a little algorithm to see if we can find some other computers that would answer. And they did answer. And that was just, oh, obviously, you can't do that now, but it was felt such a cool thing at the time. And the other time um, when I did something like that was when Jimmy White's cue ball wouldn't run on my Windows <laughs> PC anymore. Oh my God, I think I've played that. <laughs> it was actually fascinating running a decompiler on it and, and, and finding it was, it was quite easy to see how it worked, how it read certain key off a certain part of the optical drive. And it was quite a- easy to like just stick a load of no ops in that. And it started working without the disc. <laughs> and, and so I can see the attraction. Um, you know, maybe I feel if I was younger, um, I would be quite interested in doing it, but it just seems so complex now. I think the fun has been sucked out of it all, hasn't it? Oh, it certainly has. Um, in a sort of similar time to Graham, I was a bit of a hanger-on in the hacking scene. And prim- my primary goal was to get free phone calls because I wanted to hook my modem up to other uh, BBSs and, and internet dial-ups so that I could get online. Um, and in order to do that, I started looking at you know, how, how do you get free phone calls and things like that. And I went to a um, conference in Holland in 1997 and it was a hacking conference, and there were a lot of interesting talks, but I spent m- most of the entire weekend drunk out of my skull. So I don't remember anything about that. But uh, I'd like to think I was a bit of a hanger-on for a while, but never learned any real skills. But um, free phone calls was where it was at. Not quite Captain Crunch, maybe Private Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never done any sort of hacking like that. Like I say, I'm just too thick for it all, really. And I look at the whole InfoSec scene and I, I just don't get it with all the red team and blue team and stuff. It just seems a bit beyond me, really. I, I just feel like they leave it to the experts and I, I don't feel like I'm, I could ever become an expert on it. And Philip wrote in to say, if I remember correctly, one of you, failing perhaps, uses Lineage OS as their daily driver smartphone. I want to have a shot at properly de-googling all my tech, and I thought installing Lineage on my phone, a Pixel 4a 5G, would be a good first step. I have used CyanogenMod back in the good old days, so I think I know my way around the actual bootloader unlocking and flashing procedures. My questions are, have you ever encountered any issues or caveats that I should be aware of before the installation? Lineage is only available as a nightly build for my device. Does this mean the builds are unstable and every update is likely breaking something? I don't mind minor issues that will get fixed in the next build. I'm talking about major fuck-ups like data loss, etc. Now, Phelan would be able to answer this question if he ever fucking updated the thing. I fucking updated it when I was back (laughs) able to update it, and I'm going to update it again soon. But in my experience, nightlies have been actually really good 
And most often for a slightly older device, nightlies aren't really nightlies. They're kind of weeklies or bi-weeklies or every month, whatever happens to come out. I don't know whether it's luck or not, but I've never had a real breakage ever. Well, I will say this. I use Lineage, but I have the Google apps and I have experienced all sorts of problems after updates with the Google apps. And it turns out that certain combinations of Google apps installed will just conflict with each other and stuff. But on the few devices that I have not installed Google apps on, they've generally been fine, but they've not been daily drivers. So that's where I have to bow to you, Philip, because you didn't install any of the Google bullshit. No, I don't. And to be honest, I'm kind of happy with what I have. I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily recommend my phone setup for everyone, but I mean, if you've never really got into the whole, you know, every app for every fucking thing, it's so ridiculous. I don't understand why my local gardening center needs to have a phone app. Like, <laughs> what what is going on there? Just provide a fucking decent website and we can all use it. It doesn't matter what we have. It doesn't matter what version of what OS for what device is there. Just provide decent websites. Uh, yeah, so it's like, why Why would you want to install these things? Clearly, they're getting more out of it than just you using their service. Oh, fail him. <laughs> <laughs> I need to justify this somehow. This misery that I exist in. <laughs> So, Graham, you have used Lineage a fair bit, haven't you? Have you ever actually daily driven it, as they say? Yeah, I did. It was a couple of years ago, um, actually, probably about four years ago. Um, and I used to use Cyanage and Mod before that. And, and one thing that I did, I was going to say, was I did use the nightly builds, but I would use them, I would delay it by about a week and try and track what had changed. Um, so that I, I didn't like using the very latest nightly build without a few people commenting on the forums on how it operated. And I'd usually choose like a, a, a release and stay with it for a few weeks. So the arch method then. <laughs> yeah. That happens when you have a new phone, but I think if you've got something like he does or even the OnePlus 3T like I have, about a week is the, the newest one that you'll get. Well, my wife has the 3T and she has got a, a more modern version of Android. She's got the one that's based on Android 11. And uh, I'm still on 10. And so I, I see these updates come, but they're just not available because I need to upgrade and it's just a pain in the ass. And so I'm massively behind. And I, it's again, that's on my list of shit to do. But she gets updates every week and she's got Google apps, minimal apps. She's very much like you, Phelan. She prefers websites. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want. And she only installs an app if she absolutely needs it. And she's got off, offline maps and stuff like that. But otherwise, she uh, hasn't. She never complains to me. And so it's obviously working fine. And I, I always see her update, and I'm thinking, oh, shit, I must get around to uh, fixing my phone so I can get updates again and not be on some ancient version that never gets patched. I'm the same. And my one blocker was the uh, two-factor auth application and OTP that I have. And so one of, I don't know who it was, wrote in and said, yeah, you can dump it to a backup and then you can test it with this thing on GitHub. And I tried it out. It didn't work initially, made a patch and a pull request and uh, got the right version of the library and I was able to export all my stuff. So my one blocker is gone. So I should have a, it's just laziness now at this point. Yeah, same with me. It's uh, having not enough time to deal with it, but I'm going to set aside time and do it soon because yeah, same. Yeah. It's, it's time. It's very much time. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com 
slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. The on demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. Graham, recently you've been trying to get Linux running on your Android phone, and you tried a couple of different methods. Yeah, so, I mean, I think I mentioned it in the podcast, my um, LG G6 broke and I bought a new Chinese phone that seemed super powerful to me, 12 gig of RAM and like eight cores, half a terabyte of storage, phenomenal specs really for from what I'm used to, especially as ARM seems to be becoming a well-established kind of platform for computing. Um, I thought, wondered how far I could get using my phone. I know convergence has been talked about for years and I was always very cynical about it, but I wanted to see how far I could get. 50 meters, 100. <laughs> There's a couple of things. I was. I mean, I think we're all aware of an app called Termux. You can get it on F-Droid. It's a terminal emulator for Android. Basically, it gives you SSH, lets you configure your environment and gives you curl. And you can even install There's a small package manager in that. You can even install things like GCC and start compiling stuff like that. But there's a, another project that kind of goes alongside Termux called AnLinux, A-N Linux. And it's basically a load of open source scripts. It's important that they're open because you need to read them that will run in Termux. Um, they're hosted on GitHub. And these scripts, they use a tool called Proot, which is like an Android version of uh, Chiroot to create a kind of contained jail environment on Android without having root access this is, so you don't need to root your phone. These scripts basically patch normal distro packages and install scripts to patch or hack to work within this PR root to root environment. They kind of use bind mounts and things like that to emulate all the proc stuff that they can't get to for real in the isolated contained Android world. And you can install Ubuntu, Debian, you can install Arch and Fedora using these scripts and with the real packages. Um, so that's what I did. And honestly, there are some limitations, but otherwise... It works really, really well. I got really quite far to the point that I could work off my phone and not just using my phone to SSH into some other machines. In fact, I couldn't get Arch to install, actually. So in the end, I went with Ubuntu. I got my ZHS environment set up. I installed Git. I have all of my config files synced in Git. So I did that and I got all of um, my ZHS Z. SH environment set up with oh my ZH, ZSH, all scripts that I use, port forwarding and Powerline, I use that as well. And with Vim on my phone, I could actually do some real work, but you can also install a graphical environment. That's what I'm interested in because it's all well and good to have a decent shell, but where did you get to with a graphical environment? Did you get anything usable? Yeah, so there is a, so there's usually a baseline script for installing the OS, and then there's an additional script that will do the necessary hacks to get X working. And there are scripts to get X working, and you can install GNOME, and you can install KDE. For many of the distributions, I did this with Ubuntu, and I installed Plasma, the latest Plasma. Um, 
it runs on X, but you can only access it via VNC. So to actually access the desktop on the phone, you have to run a VNC client on the phone. There's no other way of it doesn't like open up a window, for example, and you can use it natively. Right. But that works really well within the limitations of the kind of phone form factor. I used a tablet. So I used normal SSH port forwarding in the same session to port forward the 5901, whatever the port was for VNC, and was able to access the full screen desktop environment on a tablet. And it worked not natively as you expect, but just like it would be if you were accessing VNC off a normal desktop machine. I was able to install Firefox with plugins. I was able to do all the things, even... But I was building packages on my phone with ARM inside Ubuntu from a VNC desktop session. And in fact, I haven't tried it, but apparently many phones with a USB-C, you can connect to a monitor and then have the VNC session running natively on the phone. And it does perform a little bit better that way. Well, yeah, surely you're going to have less latency and stuff if it's just within the phone. Yeah, and I did try it, but I, I've got a keyboard with a with a mouse on it, um, Bluetooth, to be able to connect to my phone. But I can't work on this tiny little screen <laughs> with the desktop. It's not so bad with the editor or the command line, but that's why I had to get it onto a tablet to work. And really, just any tablet that supports VNC. So that's just any Android or iOS tablet, more or less, will do that. Yeah, and so I was basically in this situation where I had this t- tablet everything kind of building and running on my phone and the keyboard in front of it, it's really portable system. And I didn't actually have access to a laptop. I was able to do some proper work on an Android phone within this Linux environment. And it worked really well. So I'm really surprised at how well it worked. So what you're saying is convergence really is a good idea. I think it could be. I mean, it obviously depends on what you do. But with these phones with such capacity and so much performance now, Certainly, there's a lot of things that I do that could be done on a phone. It's the screen, I think, that's the biggest problem. Because if you're going to carry a screen or a tablet, you're not far off carrying a laptop. But if I could plug it into a screen somewhere else in a hotel room or something, yeah, or Chromecast it with a VNC session, I could see that actually being really useful. It's funny, I found an Linux on the Play Store, and it says, this application will allow you to run Linux on Android by using Termux and Proot technology. You can even run SSH and XFCE4 desktop environment, three exclamation marks. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake. I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, and what surprises me is that the, the scripts that are using bind mounts and all that kind of stuff to kind of hack those dis- the normal distributions into running within this constrained environment actually work well enough for a whole OS to work. And I didn't hit many limitations unless you're actually using things that are expecting certain kind of system level stuff. You don't kind of hit those boundaries for normal kind of user space things. And you're used to Android being limited, but then you're, you're, you're running full fat Firefox on a desktop environment where you can install your own plugins or I think I did try YouTube playback and it worked but it was a bit performance or acceleration constrained when I tried that. The big question is what, why though? <laughs> you know, I, mean, I get that you wanted to mess with computers but you know we, we talked about the, the convergence thing but is this really a viable option? Well I really didn't have access to a laptop and I needed to travel to my mum's and I needed to do some work. And I thought I would I'd try and see how far I could get on my phone. And I was able to work that way. I was able to join meetings natively in Meet on the phone. And I was able to edit documents and 
do my normal kind of job from the phone. But can't you do all of that in Android anyway? By installing the Meet app and the Google Drive and Docs app. And Termux gets a lot of the way, but I need Git. And and the way that I work, I need Vim. And it was also useful sometimes to have... um, So using this, I reviewed some Git commits in uh, GitHub. And I used the browser in the VNC session. It, because that was the only one that could work and allow me to make suggestions. I couldn't get that to work on the Android native browsers. I thought there was a GitHub app that was quite good these days. Yeah, I didn't try that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck the easy way. Well, but it but it was the way that I was used to working and the mm. way that I knew <laughs> would work with my SSH keys. I, yeah, I didn't have to learn anything else. I mean, obviously, there's the overhead of getting this installed, but it was it was yeah. You're right, but it was really close to being useful. Linux, so close to being it. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when it'll be the year in review. We'll be looking back at the news and trends from the last 12 months. It seems like only yesterday that it was New Year's Day, so I'm not looking forward to putting that together. But then I am. Maybe it'll remind me that I have actually lived over the last 12 months. But anyway, until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.